Well, anyway, it's time for the Bob Olin Show. Good morning, Bob. Hey, good morning, Dave. I, I couldn't get your introduction going there for some reason or another. <laughs> well, we'll have to do it without the music. I morning. guess so. Well, anyway, <laughs> welcome to another week, another week of uh, snow earlier in the week. We got more snow on the way tomorrow, not quite as much as they'll get up north of here, but uh, I don't know. Spring is uh, certainly taking its time getting around to us. It is taking its time. I can't remember a year. It goes back a little ways that we've had such a very, very late spring like this. Sometimes in April, of course, we're out planning by this time, but it's uh, it's been a little delayed this year, but when it happens, it's going to happen in a real hurry, Dave. <laughs> well, we can only hope that's the case. Yeah, I guarantee you, we are going to get a spring. Probably going to be a little bit uh, shortened this year, but spring into summer, but we're definitely... You know, with that sun out there like it is today, uh, we know what's coming. So that's all good news, and we've been waiting a long time for it, Dave. I guess the other good news is we got plenty of precipitation so far this spring. In fact, uh, more on the way for the rest of the week, it looks like. Yeah, that part's good. And you know, we've really had this nice slow melt. Mm-hmm. Even yesterday, you know, it was overcast, but we had uh, melting temperatures. going to get nice melting temperatures today. And, you know, it's going to be interesting because I've mentioned in the past, and, the uh, you know, we kind of follow NOAA, those folks, uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, that's a mouthful, but nonetheless, uh, they've got a climate prediction center, and uh, they've been staying pretty much with the theme of uh, warmer and drier. Matter of fact, getting a little warmer and a little drier for us here in the upper Midwest. So any moisture we can get in the soil at this point is beneficial and we hope they're a little wrong, particularly in the southwestern. Those those areas that didn't get much snow pack, mm-hmm. uh, definitely going to be dry this spring, and uh, hopefully get a little moisture. You know, it's going to point to the fact I think we're going to see a real surge in fruit and vegetable production in the home garden this year because, uh, let's face it, uh, with inflation going as it is, with all the circumstances uh, currently present in the world, I think food's going to be a little more expensive. And if we can produce a little more of our own, I think it'll be to our own benefit, Dave. You bet. Uh, this I noticed, Minnesota farmers down in the southwestern part of the state figure it's going to be at least two weeks before they can get uh, planting done. So the cold, wintry conditions keeping a lot of farmers out of the field uh, last week when normally, I guess, they'd be out there doing their thing. Yeah, they really would. They like to They like to get early. Now, um, mm-hmm. corn is so significant, particularly as they work our way south, and people ask why that is. Well, corn is the basis of... Uh, a lot of products, but in particular all the animal feed and so forth. Right. And, the, and yields really are dependent. You need a good long growing season. There was a time when they'd plant them very late. They'd plant uh, right around Memorial Day or into May sometime. Now, you know, they got to get the frost out. And then, of course, if you've got a lot of moisture, uh, you got to get some of that moisture out. Uh, seed can rot, certainly, and you can get the equipment stuck and whatnot. And this is a big thing in the valley, too. You know, they had that snowstorm in uh, North Dakota, and the Dakotas are really uh, important not just for our own production, but certainly for worldwide production. And, uh, you know, in the Red River Valley, that beautiful area, and folks haven't had the chance to see it, you've got this deep, loam, dark soil from horizon to horizon and uh, very, very uh, huge in, uh, equipment and large, very efficient farmers that grow a lot of our domestic sugar supply, uh, sugar beets, of course, as well as uh, a lot of wheat, uh, beans, uh, corn even in that area. And uh, they've got to get in that field, too. So everybody's kind of sitting and waiting this year. Uh, those tractors are sitting on the side of the field idling, and uh, they want to go as soon as they can. But it's probably going to be, as you mentioned there, even in southern Minnesota, a couple weeks before they can get the early crop in. Well, I'm sure the gardeners around here are twiddling their thumbs and certainly waiting for something to happen. And I know next week uh, you're going to have a special gardening show for everybody, right? 
Yeah, we have our spring gardening extravaganza going to be down at the depot this year, and uh, Mm -hmm. that is really going to be fun. It's the first time I've tried this. So much emphasis now on pollinators, pollinator gardens, the significance of insect pollinators, the bees, not just the honeybees, but the native bees pollinating uh, so many of our vegetable and fruit crops. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that, but it came up with, a, you know, this idea of an integrated landscape where you've got the beauty of a pollinator garden, you've got your edibles, and this year's the year of the tomatoes, so we're going to look at the tomato production as well as uh, our warm season pepper production, some of the warm season crops. You need the pollinators uh, that are attracted to the, the beautiful perennial annual flowers, and they, they're over there pollinating the uh the fruit and vegetable crops, and so we've got this entire integrated landscape, and then we're going to tie it all together with some of our thoughts on some of the bee-friendly lawns. That's something that's a little bit unique, Dave. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're trying to get clover back into the lawns because it's a food source for our pollinating insects, the bees in particular. At one time, we wanted to eliminate everything but grass. Now we're trying to come back, and the theme is to kind of integrate uh, some of these non-invasive uh, legumes and uh, short statures flowering plants back into the landscape. So we've got a landscape here that's integrated. We're going to talk about eco-friendly landscaping. We're going to talk about uh, uh, composting and the significance of getting more organic down in the soil. So it's one great big integrated program that's going to run from uh, program starts at 9 in the morning. We'll register people about 8.15. It'll run to 2.30 in the afternoon. You get lunch in between. And I just finished uh, a resource book, uh, it should be off to the printer this morning. That's uh, going to be, I don't know, it's 80 or 90 pages probably, and it will cover all these topics. Uh, we have a number of speakers. Let's see if I go through uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, six main principal speakers, as well as a lot of displays, and so many of them contributed uh, their content to the book. So it's all fresh. It's all new. Vegetable variety lists, fruit variety lists. Uh, sunflowers are going to give everybody sunflower seeds. We've got a display in honor of the Ukrainian folks, uh, sunflower being their national flower. So we're going to do a lot on that particular day, Dave. And we still have a little bit of room. We're going to have to cut off and limit registration. We want people to be spaced a little bit, so uh, we're going to have to cut it off to right around 100, I guess. So little space as of yesterday, but if people want to get involved, I would... Uh, just Google St. Louis County Extensions, uh, St. Louis County, Minnesota, slash extension, and that'll take you uh, to a registration link, Spring Gardening Extravaganza, or you can call, if you'd like, 733-2870. And if you really want to come, I think I would register early because this is one we're going to have to uh, limit the number of people that come. Yeah, don't delay call today, as they say. Hey, <laughs> you might not be able to get in. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's, not, that's great. It's a very popular show that you do each year, and this one sounds fascinating with the pollinator uh, portion of it. I know I'm doing my part with clover and dandelions in my lawn. <laughs> great, Dave. That's good. <laughs> I know they are uh, they have a big uh, push now. I, I think uh, Superior's Council is actually going to consider a no-mow may, they called it. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So I'm not sure this, how that what came of that, but isn't this an interesting uh, shift in perspective? Right. There was a time when we weren't going to tolerate anything but pure grass. <laughs> and there was a time when we were collecting all the clippings. Now we've got kind of an integrated approach. We're going to leave a few of the uh, uh, a few of the pollinator friendly plants out there. Now dandelions do supply a source of nectar early in the season, but we're looking for things that will supply uh, food, which is nectar as well as. Uh, uh, the pollen uh, for these pollinating insects. So 
there's been a shift in attitude a lot of different places, and uh, we're going to try to pull it all together. You know, I'm kind of excited. I work with all of our speakers, and, uh, you know, I'll throw an idea out, and then we'll knock some ideas back and forth. Deb Erickson and Burns from uh, Burns Greenhouse is going to join us, and she's going to develop something by the season, spring, summer, and fall, where you've got not just your annuals and perennial flowering plants, but your shrubs as well that provide a lot of uh, flowering and you know you look at uh, the apples are are very obvious but there's so many other spring flowering summer flowering trees and shrubs that also provide fall so we're kind of and just finished that piece with her and i think uh, we've got a nice plant list there so if you want to uh you know plant something you want to plant something that's pollinator friendly if we go back and look at the sunflower i mentioned we're going to talk about uh, planting sunflowers everyone's going to get three a packet of three seed packets of different types of sunflowers but now the big theme out there is pollenless. You look at the catalogs, and uh, people don't want the pollen, and we're just the opposite with this. We want <laughs> pollen because that's what the uh, the bees, of course, are thriving on. And uh, we go back to some of the old varieties. So that's just a little bit of the education. If you're going to be planting sunflowers, get some of the old varieties, the uh, the giant mammoths, uh, some of the oil seed varieties, and uh, these are the ones that kick out uh, pollen. So you get not only the beautiful flowers. But you also get a nice source of food for the pollinating insects, Dave. So nice. just a little bit of the in- information that people should have. So people planting uh, some of the newer varieties of sunflowers, they're beautiful and they're interesting and they're multi-branched, but they don't produce the pollen that, uh, that the insects really need. You said the giants. How big do these things get? Well, that's the interesting. As far north as we are, we could yeah. grow some real giant uh, sunflowers. Wow. So we could grow them uh, 10, you know, 8 feet in height for really? sure. And I avoided it, but the uh, <laughs> one of the big varieties out there is the Russian mammoth. Yeah, just the name itself uh, right. kind of turned me off, but that's been around for a long time. Uh, but we have a giant mammoth that has a similar beautiful head, single head per stalk. And, uh, again, sunflowers are such a unique plant because they do face the sun. They start out east. When they're very young, Dave, it's kind of interesting, but when they're young and the stalks are very tender, that head will actually rotate with the sun kind of an adaptive way for the uh, the plant to actually uh, pick up as much sunlight as it can in the course of the day sunlight being the energy source and the driver and the driver of growth and and all life on earth actually but uh, uh they rotate only when they're young as soon as that uh, the fiber content goes up in that stock uh, they can't move around quite as uh, easily. If you notice that, Dave, as, as a plant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as we get older, too, it's the same thing. I can hardly turn my head halfway now. <laughs> so anyway, they they eventually remain in that uh, in that easterly position mm-hmm. as they get older. But it's kind of interesting. As they're young, they'll kind of follow the sun, and the sun sets, and they'll snap back around in the middle of the night. So they're kind wow. of very unique unique plants that way but uh very important oil crop we talk about the dakotas they get a million acres of uh, sunflowers in the dakotas not for ornamentals but for the oil production that comes from it and that's not coming out of ukraine any longer or not at any extent so uh the crop we have in uh, the midwest here in the dakota is going to be very very important this year to not just us but to the whole world just out of curiosity i mean to get the oil out of the flowers what happens to the rest of the plant uh, the rest of the plant, of course, will ultimately produce a seed head. Okay. And, um, you know, it, it, the sunflower's got a, a very, very unique flower on it. It's got, you know, the beautiful mm-hmm. yellow petals on the outside. These are the ray flowers, but the real production in the seed is on the interior of the uh, plant where we've got literally hundreds of additional flowers, a little slightly different type of flower, but this is the portion where the pollen is being exchanged, where the bees are picking up the pollen, 
and uh, ultimately that seed, either if you're going to eat it, or the black seed that you can save for the birds. We have an oil seed variety in one of the packets. We've got a, a nut variety in one of the other packets, so people can grow out whatever they want. But ultimately it's that pollinated, fertilized seed uh, that we're going to harvest, uh, for certainly for either uh, food production or for oil production, and that's on the interior portion of the plant. So two, di- two distinct separate types of flowers with that we call it a composite flower within that composite sunflower. Very unique plant, very interesting, and we're going to talk a little bit about how to grow them. And uh, we've got a gentleman who has had, uh, relatives in Ukraine, and he's going to talk a little bit about the history and importance of uh, sunflowers to that country and, and the significance and symbolic significance of planting some in our landscapes here, Dave. Sounds like a fascinating program for sure. Give us the details again on how to get registered. We've got to do it quickly. We'll do it quickly. It's this Saturday uh, down at the depot downtown Duluth. Uh, call 733-2870 uh, or just uh, Google St. Louis County Extension, uh, St. Louis County, Minnesota slash extension. Look for Spring Gardening Program and all the details are there for you. Fantastic. Bob, we'll take a break. Be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAO. And once again, Bob Olin. Bob, we had uh, Easter, of course, just this past weekend. I imagine there are a lot of Easter lilies out there, and you said that you can actually keep these around for longer than they might last otherwise. Yeah, you can, and they're fun to plant. We're not going to do any planting for a little <laughs> while, Dave, yeah. so we're going to keep in the house, enjoy the bloom, clip the bloom off, and, uh, you know, we can put them down and ground it. The tricky thing is to get them to come back into flower again, uh-huh. and that's, that's really a science in and of itself, but... Uh, some of these, and uh, you'll certainly get uh, good use out of it. They're going to grow real nicely during the growing season. If you care to and you really want to mulch them in, you probably can bring them through the winter again, particularly if you got the snowfall. That's the thing. This was an interesting year that we had. We had uh, <laughs> the snow very early, which is uh, what we'd really like to have so we don't get a lot of frost in the ground, and we're actually benefiting from that now. But we had good snow cover early before we got the extremely cold temperatures. We really didn't expect it to be here at this point, Dave, but nonetheless, my nature is going to do what she's going to do, and uh, we're just going to have to live with it. See, Dave, you know, one of the real great things about um, this type of a late spring is buds have not broken on uh, so many of our deciduous trees, deciduous trees being those that drop their leaves every year, of course, as opposed to a conifer or pine tree. Um, So you have the opportunity to do a little bit of pruning. It's You know, it's very interesting. What the pandemic did is it really... Uh, spurred a lot of interest in uh, gardening in general so we saw a lot of vegetable gardens going in people had the time they had the interest uh, there's a new uh, found interest in nutrition and, and maybe when we get a chance we'll look at some of the work that the harvard's uh, school of medicine's been doing on some of those topics but basically the upshot is uh all try to get a little more fruits and vegetables into your diet and, uh, and a good balanced diet is important to supporting the immune system and uh, trying to stay as healthy as we can. So it, the pandemic has done uh, an awful lot of interesting things, spurred a lot of technology, uh, pushed a lot of gardening. So we went from vegetables to small fruits and uh, the tree fruits, the apples and the pears, a tremendous amount of interest there, uh, blueberries and other things. So you couldn't hardly get a plant. I don't know what it's going to be like this year, but I think uh, you got to order early as well because uh, they're going to be in short supply uh, as well. So... Apple trees, a lot of people put new apples into the ground last year, and, uh, you know, there's some real nice benefits to growing your own. Uh, you don't have to use any pesticides at all. You might have to tolerate uh, some of the uh, insect pests a little bit, so they're not going to be quite uh, perfect, and that's the issue 
when you get to a commercial crop, people expect perfection there. So that means the application of a lot of insecticides that control insects as well as disease. Don't have to do any of that at all. If you don't have a lot of uh, apple trees in your neighborhood, uh, then you typically aren't going to be bothered too much by some of these uh, pests. But if we get a concentration of apples, the insects in particular tend to follow them. And we get a little bit of uh, what we call railroad maggot, apple maggot, and uh, we can have some of those as a concern. But overall, and if you can tolerate some imperfection, uh, you can do a pretty good job with uh, pesticide-free apples in this area. Dave, I know you've got a nice Harrelson tree. Yeah, no pesticides whatsoever, and occasional worm in the apple is, uh, provides good protein. There you go. You don't worry about it, do you, particularly? No, <laughs> no they no, turn out pretty good. They really do. Right? They really do. You don't have too much of a problem. And, um, you know, I've mentioned the fact that you can you can bag some of this fruit as it's getting low with a sandwich bag. You don't have mm-hmm. to apply anything. The fruit develops within the bag. And then um, you're only going to be able to bag so much. You've got a large tree, mature tree, so you don't want to get up on ladders and do a lot of bagging. But bag the low-hanging fruit and then uh, everything above that. Um, you just use for applesauce or apple pies, and uh, so most of these insects are not in the fruit itself. Uh, they actually leave, but they leave some of these railroad tracks, and uh, they're a little bit discolored. But it's not a problem. It's not a health issue. And as I tell people, uh, applesauce cures a lot of uh, insect problems <laughs> in our local apple trees. I know the birds like my apples, too. I'll find uh, little peck marks in the apples quite often. Not I assume little- it's birds. Yes, it is. Not only little peck marks, the blue jays, as beautiful <laughs> as they are, uh, yeah. they can make a mess, particularly out of some of the upper fruit that they can uh, access. So that that gets the most sun and gets the most color on mm-hmm. it seems to attract uh, birds in general, but blue jays in particular, Dave. But you're saying this is a good time to get out there and do some pruning then? It's a good time to do a couple of things. Uh, we do have, with the snow still on the ground and this reflection of sunlight on a day like this, we can have a lot of sun scald on the south side of the apple tree. So mm. you can go freezing. We've got a young tree. Now, older trees get a bark, of course, that forms on there, and they get, they get protected. But young trees have a very thin bark. And we can have, uh, we push, and this is a classic time of year, we push a lot of the stored moisture and what we call photosynthesis that are in the roots that pushes up into the tree gets up in that bark that thin bark and so there's uh moisture laden cells there all that water in there and then the temperature drops below zero at night and the the, the water crystallizes and as it expands and freezes it breaks the cell tissue so this is what we call sun scald damage uh, doesn't kill a tree, but it definitely slows the tree down. We'd like to avoid that if we could. Commercially, you can do it a couple ways. You can wrap the tree and still wrap them at this point. Get a tree wrap out there and, and just get down in that snow and wrap that, that main bark. Particularly, we're talking about trees that are under five years old in particular. Get it out there. Get it wrapped because you're going to get a lot of sun scald damage this time of year. Or you can just paint on a white latex, not an oil-based paint, but a white latex paint on the south side. Uh, this is where most of the damage occurs, and I can, I can point it out many places in our landscape. Uh, I was at a school. I helped the young kids. They they had a, a great project, Youth in Action, uh, at a Southridge school, and we had a shout out to them. And beautiful new school, newer school that was landscaped with a lot of beautiful flowering crabs. No protection. There was a good knowledge. That's why little bit of information is very important. They had these beautiful flowering crabs, and one by one, the sun scald was killing them. I showed them exactly where the damage was going, and the new trees that they're putting in to replace them, how we're going to wrap and protect. So you wrap these collars that uh, you could put on, uh, you know, like a, uh, 
a drainage uh, pipe, the plastic poly material, that can go on there as well as long as it's not in contact with the main bark. Or you can uh, wrap, you can put a collar on there, or you can spray white latex paint or paint on a white latex paint, white latex paint on the south side of the tree. Commercially, that's what they do. They get out there with a big boom sprayer and they spray all of the uh, the south side of the trees. So it, it's something that uh, you want to do right now this time of year, as well as pruning. And I don't know if we have a, I know you've got breaks that you have to manage there, but we're going to go over some of the basic principles right. of pruning. It's an ideal time to be doing that right now, too. We'll take a break, and then we'll start pruning with Bob next. And we're back with the Bob Olin Show. Bob is going to talk all about uh, pruning up those trees here early this spring. Yeah, apples and, and any deciduous tree, this is mm-hmm. the perfect time, Dave. I want, while it's on my mind, I just want to thank uh, one of our sponsors that keeps us, keep us on the air there, the Sanitary District, Western Lake Superior Sanitary mm-hmm. District, and their Garden Green Compost Product in one of our sessions on uh, growing uh, in an environmental friendly manner and growing under uh, a changing climate conditions, we're going to be talking about the importance of compost. We've got a great product out there, and it is produced from all the yard waste and managed very nicely. Uh, the sanitary district, Western Lake Sanitary District, will be at the conference on Saturday, so you can talk directly with folks. And they, they, uh, and we thank them very much. They give away a lot of coupons for their garden gear green products. So we're big on composting. We'll show you how you can do it yourself. And, of course, uh, in many cases, they've got a very fine product that, that, that adds a great deal to our local gardens. So well, a little plug for the sanitary district, yeah. for sure. All right, before we start pruning, I got a phone call. Hi, who's this? Uh, this is Phyllis. You might have to turn your radio down. Yep, I guess so. <laughs> I have a honey crisp tree that's 10 or 12 years old, and it never, for the last four or five years, it's never had an apple. What do I need to do? Can I put some of those uh, fertilizer stakes in it or cut it down? Oh, that's really a great, great question. Now, once again, we had a little trouble with the audio. It's honey crisp, but can I ask where you're located? Are you in near Cloquet. the lake at all? I'm in Cloquet. You're in Cloquet. Do you consider yourself Zone 3 or Zone 4 there? Um, I don't know. know I suppose about about four. Okay, uh, because Cloquet can be, you know, we've got the St. Louis River that wraps through there, and there are pockets down in the Cloquet area in Carlton where it can get really quite quite cold, and we're Zone 3. So a couple things about Honeycrisp. First, uh, you never want to give up on them. Uh, because even though it's taken a little while to, to set the buds and set the fruit, they'll still come through. Let me ask you one more question. Does the tree look good? Does it fruit out? Is there not a lot of damage, or does it leaf out nicely for you? Is there a lot of damage to the tree itself on the bark, or does that all look pretty healthy? No, it looks quite healthy. It's not a real, it doesn't have a lot of branches. It's not a real full looking tree i don't know you know maybe maybe i needed to fertilize it earlier but it used to have a couple three apples or every other year i guess every other year is, is that still true that it's an apple year yeah apples really and this one in particular particular will bear an alternate year so there's a couple of thoughts here honey chris great tree you know, developed the University of Minnesota, went throughout the world, as a matter of fact. It's such a great apple. It was always introduced as a solid zone four, never for zone three. So we struggle with it a little ways away from Lake Spear. If you're right down on the lake or if you're in Morgan Park or someplace, we got a solid zone four. They do very nicely there. We get up over the hill. And I'll share my experience. I had a honeycrisp, got some apples. I'm about three, three B, just a little way from the ways away from the lake, and I could see the the vigor of the tree diminishing. 
Uh, it's, it's really best suited for warmer parts of our listing area, and it was never introduced. As a matter of fact, the Department of Ag forced them to put a tag on it, introduced for Zone 3, even though everyone wanted to plant it. Uh, they do grow, but we have problems with vigor, and this is what it sounds like here, vigor on the tree, and uh, gradually it diminishes because it's, it's really not quite as cold-hardy as we'd really like. So that's one of my first thoughts. But you've got good leafing on it. If you're going to fertilize, we only want to fertilize just as those buds are beginning to break, and I only would try to do that. I'd get a higher nitrogen fertilizer. You could use something even like a granular lawn fertilizer without the herbicide in there, and you could spread a little bit of that. Uh, from the trunk out beyond what we call the drip line. Most of the new growth is going to occur on those root, that root tissue that's maybe a foot beyond uh, the canopy or the drip line of the tree. So get some uh, spread throughout that area. Make sure it gets watered in early so that if we don't get rain, watered in so that we get some fertility down. We want fertility early on a deciduous tree like this, never uh, during mid-season or in the fall, but very early, and that will help some. Uh, they have an alternate pattern. We've got to get just a little bit more growth on the tree. And that will ultimately give you uh, flowering as well as more fruit production. Thank you, Bob, for answering my questions. I'll let you know. I'll call you next year. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Thanks. Go. Patience is a virtue, they say. So hopefully, go. let's yeah. follow that, that honey crisp. I will share this with you. Once again, I'm zone three. I got some. Uh, I got some fruit off hundred Chris over the years, but I had to take a chainsaw to it last year. It finally just gave up with the uh, the colder yep. conditions. We've got so yep. many good apples, Dave. Uh, honey Chris is one of the great ones. If you've got a protected area, or you've got zone four, uh, but we have many, many alternatives. I did. Uh, update our fruit list. That'll be in the packet that people will get, the, the book they're going to get this Saturday, uh, uh, 2022 Fruit Variety. That's going to give you lots of options in addition to Honeycrisp. So this woman's case, if she can't get it to bloom, the, the tree begins to decline. Uh, let's get a Sweet 16 in there. Or maybe a Harrelson. What do you say, Dave? Sure. Harrelson. <laughs> if I get a nice good apple, I'll bring it down the station. I'll put your name on it. Oh, Thank you. Absolutely wonderful. Thanks We'd for the call. It. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, you know, David, uh, there's this thing called the joy of gardening. There is a uh, there's a joy even when you get that first apple. And I know you've got a good, you know, Harrelson was introduced to University of Minnesota back in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And people said when Honeycrisp came along, Harrelson's going away. And I said, and I think I was right in this case. Oh, mm-hmm. no. Harrelson's not going away because of the hardiness of it. I've seen Harrelson up in Ontario, up in Canada. It's a wonderful tree. Uh, very late to mature, a little tart in nature, great uh, for applesauce and for pies and for eating when they get ripe. Right. But the big thing, it's hardy, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I had two. One of them finally uh, bit the dust, but this one's been going pretty strong for, well, ever since we planted them, so... Yeah, I know. You've got uh, had some tremendous production. So Harrelson, Harold Red, Sweet 16. We've got uh, some of the Canadian introductions. Prairie Magic's coming on real strong. We've got many, many uh, good, solid, hardy varieties for anyone that might be up in, in Zone uh, 3 and a little discouraged by the fact that over time, and if things are warming up, maybe... Uh, uh, maybe a honey crisp uh, away from the lake is going to work out real nicely for folks as well. But if you are planting again, uh, it's going to take, what, a couple of years before you see any fruit, right? Oh, it's gonna, it depends on the tree. It'll take yeah. at least uh, five, six years oh, if wow. it's on a dwarf root. Uh, some of these uh, actually take uh, 10, 12 years to come into production. Okay. So it's a long-term operation. One thing we want to do, uh, let me touch quickly on the pruning because you have this wonderful opportunity mm-hmm. right now. 
They're dormant. This is the ideal time to prune before the buds break. So if you have the opportunity next week or two, uh, get out there. You want to think about pruning, particularly the young trees, uh, a couple of real basic concepts, because we promised people this. Uh, you want a nice, strong, structural tree. You want lateral branches, so you're going to take a few cuts. You're going to take cuts on limbs that are under maybe three-quarters of an inch so they will heal in the course of the year. You're going to look at, uh, imagine this, you're going to think of a strong skeleton. You're going to have a main center leader. Many of these young trees tend to split at the top where we've got uh, two leaders that are competing. So you have kind of a slingshot effect, two leaders going up. One of those typically has to come off at the top, so we get one strong central leader. And then we work our way down the tree, and we want to leave those branches that are coming off at 90 degrees. So when this tree is young, we're pruning for strong structure. This is what's going to support that fruit. This is what's going to set the structure of the tree up for the next 40 or 50 years. So you want to have a, a, a one central leader. You want to have strong structure. You want to make your cuts carefully, nice, clean cuts. Uh, back to the tree. So maybe it's only going to be one or two tree cuts on a young tree like that, but they're very important as we set them up for a lifetime of, of good production. Now, older trees, there are a lot of different principles. Uh, you want to cut off anything that's crossing. You want to open the tree up a little bit. You never want to over prune or under prune, never more than 25% of that tree. Pruning this time of year is very stimulative. It uh, forces the production of new growth. The nice thing about new growth, most of our productivity comes off from the new wood that's uh, one to four years uh, in age. So this is one of the reasons why we want to constantly be pruning. We're going to do a little bit every year because that uh, forces the development of new rather than, rather than old wood, and it's this new wood that's going to be much more productive in terms of overall fruit production. Boy, there's a there's a lot of concepts in a very short period of time there, Dave. <laughs> well, take Bob's advice. Don't let it go like I did. I've got uh, branches all over the place going willy-nilly, and it's <laughs> probably not a good thing. All right, we've got to take another break. We'll be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAO. Well, here we are in the, uh, well, almost uh, past the middle of April already, and uh, not a whole lot of gardening going on at this point because we've still got uh, snow in the forecast. But, Bob, eventually it's going to happen, right? We're going to see sunshine and warmer temperatures, and the ground is going to thaw out. Absolutely. <laughs> and when it comes this year, it's going to come very fast. So yeah. you, wanna, you certainly want to get ready. Once again, we had that nice commercial from the sanitary district. Uh, a couple things you knew. We talked about pruning. We talked about protecting from sun scald. Get yourself some information. Line up your plant material. Big shout-out to the folks of the Sanitary District that are going to be at our uh, conference this Saturday. So make sure, if you're interested, 733-2870 or Google St. Louis County, Minnesota, uh, slash extension. Got to also thank Deb Erickson Burns. She's putting together a real nice part, my, my colleague on Great Gardening and, and Burns Greenhouse. Also want to thank Tom Casper out of Burning, uh, Bending uh, Birch's Greenhouse out in Lakewood. Uh, Tom's been such a great supporter over the years. And, again, I really appreciate these local greenhouses that are planting materials that really are appropriate for this area, bringing in materials that are winter hardy. They can tell you that, well, if you're near the lake, plant a Honeycrisp. If you're away from the lake, uh, plant a Harold Red or a Harrelson. Uh, these folks are all great contributors and part of this uh, wonderful local uh, green industry that we have, Dave. Well, let's see. We've got time for one more question. Hi, who's this? This is uh, Dick up in Meadowlands. i got a question for Bob. Right. Hi, Dick. Yes. 
Say, I've got, I planted some uh, bur oak trees about, oh, I guess about 15 years ago now. And the last couple of years, they got kind of funky on the, you know, where the new growth comes off. They, instead of having one main leader, you get a whole bunch of them kind of knotted up on the end. Yeah. You know, could be wrong. You know, bur oak, first you got a good choice. Uh, swamp or bur oak, uh, it really is hardy. The problem we have with so many oaks in this area, particularly if it's a little lower, like it is in Meadowlands, uh, uh, oaks aren't really the best best tree. They are, by nature, kind of shrubby, um, Dick. They just uh, will gnarl up a little bit. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about pruning, and uh, we certainly don't want to be pruning in the spring oaks. We have a oak potential problem, so that's a tree that we would um, would be the exception of the rule. We're not going to prune at all coming into the spring, particularly a little bit later when uh, we don't want open wounds when this fungi that causes oak wilt can be around. So we're not going to do any pruning. If you wanted to shape it up, uh, that'd be an activity you might uh, might consider uh, midsummer or a little later than that. But there really isn't, a, in my judgment, maybe you can describe that a little bit a little bit more. It can be, I've seen uh, bur oaks almost shrub-like rather than tree-like, so they tend to be a little uh, gnarly is the, uh, is the term I'll use there. Uh, what well, what are know, the symptoms again? What does it look like, well, Dick? You, you know where the new growth comes out, you know, you should have one, one liter, you know, yeah. like on, but get a whole bunch of them, just like a whole cluster of them, and, and you don't get one definite one that's going to, you know, leader out. You don't. You're absolutely right. You know, that's characteristic of the species, again. If we had a northern pin oak, that's much more vertical with a much more dominant uh, uh, central leader, but in this case... Uh, it's almost uh, can almost get in and look almost a little bit shrub-like. So I, I, that's the natural growth of that particular species, and I don't think we're going to do much to change that. Uh, it's going to it is hardy, so it should grow for you. Have you got good drainage where they're growing, Dick? Yes, I do. You know, actually, some of my some of them, I got a couple of them that are twenty twenty five feet tall, and I got some that are five feet tall. You know, <laughs> yeah, it it's a funny uh, funny species, and it's just. Uh, that's just the nature of that beast. Like I say, some are trees, and some will kind of remain as uh, almost shrub-like. And, you know, the genetics is a little bit different on those, so every tree is going to respond a little bit differently. But in this case, uh, we're really not going to be doing any pruning. As a matter of fact, many of these ornamental deciduous trees, we, do, we don't prune up. We let them go. We're, our fruit trees, we're going to prune those because uh, we want structural strength. We've got to support a fruit load. And, of course, uh, oaks can support acorns, but that's not a heavy fruit load for them. So uh, they don't really need that structural strength. So generally, we're not going to do anything there. And if we are, for one reason or another, there's damage. Uh, we got crossing limbs. Uh, there are reasons to prune up. But in the case of oaks, uh, never, again, this is the exception of the rule, uh, never during the early spring months. Uh, that's one that will prune up lightly uh, midsummer or later. But that's uh, kind of the exception to the rule, Dick. Okay, well, see, I, thanks I, I for the call. Yep. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, and we a... appreciate that call. Every tree is a little different, yeah. and so many of these uh, these species are sourced from uh, seed where you get a lot of genetic mixing, so they don't always look the same. Uh, in the case of a of an apple tree that's been in a, a nursery, we're actually taking cuttings, and the genetic stays the same. In the case of a bur oak and some of these other native materials, uh, they come from the acorns, which uh, naturally there's going to be a mixing of some of the genetics there, and they're not uh, so we get that they reveal themselves or grow all just a little, little bit differently 
But that was an interesting call from Dick uh, out in the Midlands area there. Uh, this tree just wants to be a little bit bush. That's right. That's there a, you go. Little bushy tree. It's a bushy tree, yes. All right. Well, give us uh, the details again on your big gardening show coming up, and then we got to call it quits here on a Tuesday. You bet. It's uh, down at the, the depot. Uh, it'll be Saturday. Uh, program runs from 9 to 2.30. There's lunch. We're putting together a resource book for you. Uh, you can register by calling 733-2870 and, um, or by just Googling St. Louis County Men uh, uh, slash extension and look for the gardening program. And if you want to get in, uh, we have to cut the registration off. We want to space people out. Uh, it's going to be a great day. And uh, you, you won't be uh, disappointed. I'm, and I have the opportunity. I want to thank all of the speakers that are joining us, uh, myself as well as Deb Erickson. Burns will be there. It's going to be a great day. 733-2870 or just Google it where you can register online, St. Louis County, min uh, slash extension. Fantastic. Thank you, Bob. We'll catch you again next week. Great. Thank you, and thank you for our callers this morning. You bet. Have a good week. we got uh, news on the way and then the Bruce Siski Show from KDAL.